Good morning, everyone. Uh, so, God's word to us this morning. First one is from Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, the events around Cain and Abel. If you've got uh, a Bible, open it up to Genesis 4. If you've got an iPhone, ask Siri. <laughs> chapter 4, verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked on f with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right... Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence and I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Our second Bible reading is from 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 10. Starting at verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brother's 
were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And receive from him anything we ask, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Thank you, Nigel. Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you this morning. I feel like there's this big hole in the front of church here underneath the rotisserie um, radiator above us. Um, uh, I hope everyone's warm enough and not too hot and we'll, we'll get these heaters sorted out there um, yeah, we'll, we'll work out how they work and they seem to make strange noises every so often but then they, they calm down so we'll just ignore the heaters. Um, I hope you're, you're comfortable and uh, ready to listen to this part of God's word as we reflect on it. Will you join with me as, uh, as, uh, in, as we pray and ask for God to help us? Father God, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for this time to gather together this morning. Father, we ask that you'd speak to us, that you'd give us understanding we ask that you'd move our hearts to be ready to respond to you. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder what you'd say are the distinctive signs of a Christian. Uh, are there sort of telltale signs that someone is a Christian? Uh, maybe it's a particular way of dressing. Perhaps it's a, 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 you know, a, a particular poor fashion sense or something. <laughs> Um, years ago when I was growing up, it was, it was socks and sandals, that particularly distasteful combo that was somehow associated with Christians. I, I don't know why that was. Um, I was curious to discover that one of the young ladies at night church is trying to bring, bring this back, socks and sandals. Anyone you know, rocking the socks and sandals this morning? No, no one's admitting it. Um, or maybe there are other telltale fashion giveaways. Does anyone remember um, the, the uh, Colorado clothing? Remember Colorado was... At one point, I was pretty much exclusively dressed by Colorado. Um, these days, it's, it's, well, it's probably Connor. Yeah, there you are, Connor. Um, maybe I'm just describing myself here, the telltale signs of, of Jono. Um, 
Or, or maybe the telltale distinctive sign of a Christian is the car they drive. So uh, in January, CMS Summer School, a big Christian convention up at Katoomba, and there's a, there's a big oval there that all the cars park on, and all the cars in the car park are overrepresented by one particular car. Anyone want to have a guess? Lots of families at this conference. The Kia Carnival. You have a Kia Carnival, don't you? Yes, yeah. As, as do I. Um, our summer schools should, should get sponsorship from Kia, I'm sure. I mean, they, it's just basically a one big advertisement for their product, a, a display centre for Kia Carnivals. But maybe it's not the car. Maybe it's the distinctive sign of the Christian is what they eat. A few years back, the potluck meal at any church lunch was guaranteed to have one box salad, also known as crunchy noodle salad, also known as Christian salad. Um, has, has anyone brought the, the crunchy noodle salad for the, share lunch, the, the lunch today? Maybe the sign of what a Christian is not what they eat. Maybe it's what they drink. Maybe they're the one at, at, the, at the Christmas party with a Coke in their hand, together with their socks and sandals and their Kia Carnival and their crunchy noodle salad they brought, and that marks them out as definitely a Christian. Or maybe the sign of a Christian is the fish sticker on their car or the, the cross on the necklace, or the WWJD, what would Jesus do, wristband. Remember those? Anyone wearing a WWJD? Maybe you're feeling a little bit alienated at this point because you don't have any of those things and you're wondering if you're actually a Christian. Uh, r- relax, it's okay. But have you ever met someone who you've thought, like out, outside of a Christian context, and you thought, I, I wonder if they're a Christian. They kind of seem like they might be. And then you discover that they actually are, and you're kind of not surprised. Why is it? What was it about them that made you wonder? What are the marks, the signs of a Christian? John says in this letter of 1 John that there are, there are two distinct families of humanity and everyone belongs to one or to the other. In, in uh, chapter 3 verse 10, he speaks of the children of God and the children of the devil. And he says everyone belongs to, to one family or the other. It's, it's stark. It's, it's contrasting. You either accept God as God, you trust him, you receive from him forgiveness and life and love. You are born of God, born into his family, receiving new life, eternal life. Or you deny that God is God. You deny that he has any claim over you. You assert yourself as the ruler of your life you say you're not answerable to any higher authority, which means that you then, well, you belong to and follow the one who rejects God, who has rejected his rule over him. You follow and belong to the devil. You are one of his family. So the Bible presents this truth plainly and starkly. There are two families of humanity and everyone belongs to one or to the other. Everyone is a child of God or a child of the devil. So how do you tell Who's in which family? Is it there's some sort of mark to identify them as, as of God or of the devil? They're a, a faint halo or some little horns or something. Well, 3 verse 10 says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. Now, it's put in the negative, uh, but put in the positive, someone who, who is God's child will do what is right. They will love their brother and sister. So the distinguishing mark of a Christian, 
of a child of God is that they, they will love their Christian brothers and sisters. Now, this is not new. Jesus said this. Uh, John 13, verse 35, Jesus said, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So it turns out it's not socks and sandals or Connor clothing or Kia carnivals or crunchy noodle Christian salad or Coke at the Christmas party, even a fish sticker or a cross necklace. It's love for brother and sister. Now, why is that? And, and what does that look like? Well, this part of God's word addresses us as, addresses us as children of God, as those who've been born of him, who've been given new life. And, and this part of God's word calls on us to love. And I hope and pray that this morning as we listen to God's word, that, that this will indeed shape us and change us increasingly to, to live this out in, in real and practical ways. So look with me, let's open our, our, our hearts to God's word. John starts by reminding his readers that this call to love has been with them since the beginning. He says, verse 11, for this message you heard from the beginning, so this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. As I said, this is what Jesus taught his first disciples. The verse before that uh, verse in John 13 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And again, a few uh, chapters on in John 15, 12, Jesus says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So love for one another, that, that, that is foundational. It's foundational to how we are to live. Now before John tells us why we love and, and what love is, he firstly tells us what love isn't. Uh, he expresses it in the, the negative as to what we're not to do. Look there at verse 12. He says, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Uh, Nigel read for us from uh, Genesis 4, that story of Cain and Abel, where Cain murdered his brother Abel out of envy, jealousy, rivalry. He hated his brother and murdered him. Here's the, the opposite of love. Now, to hate someone is to, is to want to be rid of them which lies at the heart of murder. I mean, the ultimate outworking of hate is to murder someone. As it says in verse 15, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. So we're not to be people of, of hatred, or people of murder, people of death. Rather, we're to be people of love and life. As verse 14 says, we know that we have passed from death to life. Because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. John paints the, in very um, black and white terms. It's, it's stark and contrasting. There's no kind of grey. It's just black or white. You're, you're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. You, you're for life or you're for death. You're for love or for hatred. You're for God or you're for the world against God. And if you belong to God, well, that means you've passed from death to life and so verse 13 do not be surprised my brothers and sisters if the world hates you if you're in this camp well then that camp is going to to hate you 
If you're for God, then the, the not for God camp, the not for God world will hate you. I think we're, in, we're seeing this increasingly in, in our lives and in, in our culture to, to stand for Christ, to stand for Christian truth and morality. That will see you hated, silenced, censored, labelled as a, as a hateful bigot. God's word says, don't be surprised. We're, we're in a different camp. We've passed from death to life. We're not people of hatred and death, but of love and life. So why should we love one another? Well, it's because by God's grace to us in Jesus, we've passed from death to life. Jesus has saved us out of death. He's, he's given us eternal life. Despite our sin, despite our hatred, Jesus died for us in our place to, to bring us forgiveness, to call us out of darkness into light, to use that, that image from chapter 1. So the fact that we, that we love each other, that flows out of the reality and, and is evidence of the reality that we've passed from death to life. So verses 12 to 15 tell us what love isn't. It's the opposite of, of the world of hate and death and murder. But then verses 16 to 18 tell us what love, what love is. Verse 16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Jesus gives us the ultimate example of love. He, he laid down his life for us. He, he gave himself up to death as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, as it says back in chapter 2, verse 2, so that we could be forgiven our sins, so that we could be purified from all unrighteousness and be born of God, be given eternal life. So Jesus displays what is the ultimate example of, of other person-centered action. And John says, we ought to do the same. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, as you, you think about that, maybe you hear those words, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Think about what that means. That is full on. Who would you lay down your life for? I mean, if, if the terrorists burst through the door this morning and started spraying bullets in our church, who would you throw your body in front of to take a bullet? person next to you, people behind you, in front of you. I mean, take a look if you like. You know, I mean, are they, are they nodding that they, they do for that for you? I mean, you, you hope we'd, we'd do that, right? It's extreme. But it, it happens, tragically. Um, many of you remember the Port Arthur Massacre in Tasmania in uh, 1996. It's going back a while now. A deranged gunman, Martin Bryan, burst into a cafe, started killing people, shooting people at random. Killed 35 people that day, including some husbands who threw themselves in front of their wives to save them. And we hear that, we, we know that, well, that's the right thing to do in that extreme situation. We had hoped that we would do the same for our loved ones. That we'd sacrifice our good for the good of others. Now, doing that in the ultimate way, by giving up our life, it, it probably won't be, called, uh, won't be asked of us. But, you know, the same principle applies 
in, in less extreme situations, the call to, to sacrifice our good for the good of others. And so John says, verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? If we're people of love, if we're people of life, if we've received God's love, if we've passed from death to life, well, that same love will be shown in us as, as we lay down, not necessarily our lives, but our possessions, our wealth, to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters. And notice the motivation there. It's, it's the love of God in us. That's the, the definitive motivation which, which moves us to, to open our heart to our brother or sister in need. Uh, the NIV translation says there in verse 17, it, it speaks of having no pity on them. Literally, it says, if, if, if he closes his heart, his affections against them, we're, we're to have open, generous hearts to our brother or sister in need. Uh, notice also, this is speaking of a brother or sister in Christ. There's a priority uh, for, for us to, to love those who we're in relationship with as fellow brothers and sisters. Uh, it's a priority It's expressed uh, elsewhere, such as in, in Galatians 6 verse 10, which I think will come up on the screen, where it says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And we live in a world of, of endless material need. Uh, this isn't a, a call to, to prioritise meeting all physical needs above all else. There's, there's a priority for our Christian brother and sister. Notice also this is, this is practical. This is concrete. It's about meeting material needs. It's, it's about loving, as John continues in verse 18, not with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. When I read that, I, I sort of thought, oh, geez, this is this a corrective to, um, to me and my fellow words of affirmation people, you know, the love language. Who, who likes words of affirmation? That's, that's definitely my primary love language. Now, we should love not with words, but with actions. Uh, maybe all you um, acts of service people feel very affirmed at this point. But I don't think it's saying that don't love with words. You, you can keep, keep loving me with your words. But um, it's saying it should be practical. It should be concrete, especially in the face of, of need, a brother or sister in need. Now, I think as we, as we think about how to put this into practice, I think it can be particularly challenging in our cultural context um, for a number of reasons. One is that we have a, a social security system which meets a, a lot of practical needs, material needs, and, and so it can be easy for us to kind of dismiss this and say, oh, well, that's, well, that's taken care of by Semilink. I don't need to think about that, which would be a mistake because there are all sorts of needs. I mean, especially in, in our current context with, with inflation and interest rates and the housing crisis, there are all sorts of material needs. I think it can be hard too in our context given our individualism, you know, we live isolated lives where we can be unaware of the needs of others, where we don't share with others our own needs. We need to do what we can to push through our individualism, to, to not live isolated lives, to share life with one another, to, to seek to show open and generous hearts to one another. It's great that today we're having our, our Come for Lunch Sunday and a bunch of people are getting together in, in homes and that's great, we've organised that to happen and don't, don't wait for it to be organised to happen. You can organise your own Come for Lunch Sunday, invite someone over, share, life, share our lives with one another. 
Now, I reckon one person who uh, exemplifies this, this open-hearted generosity to others, and he's not here this morning, so I'm just going to embarrass him in his absence, um, is Ben. I don't know if you've noticed, but Ben is constantly trying to buy, you know, pay for other people's coffee or their lunch or whatever, and the way he hands over his debit card to people because he doesn't have any cash on him so they can you know, spend his money, I'm sure it violates a, a banking um, terms and conditions subclause somewhere, but... Um, in some ways, it's a little thing to pay for someone's coffee or pay for someone's lunch, but it models an open-hearted, open-handed generosity that sits behind other bigger expressions of meeting the needs of others. Brothers and sisters, God's word calls on us to love each other in practical, concrete ways. I wonder how this sits with you. As you, know, as you hear these words, if anyone has material possessions, yep, I've got those, and sees a brother or sister in need, yeah, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. When you hear that, is that challenging? I think it's challenging. And I reckon our hearts are probably, they're probably a bit of a mixed bag when it comes to this, that... They're inconsistent. I think sometimes we get this right and we, we, we do this. We, we open our heart in generosity to our brothers and sisters to meet their needs. And maybe other times our hearts, our hearts struggle to be open. I reckon John anticipates this, which is why he continues in the next verses to talk about our hearts con- condemning us or, or not condemning us because we don't always get it right. We, we don't always live this out as, the, as the, the dearly loved children of God who are called to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. But even when our hearts fail us, when we would stand condemned because of our, our cold-heartedness, we know, verse 20, that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. And so we, verse 19, set our hearts at rest before him. How? By reminding us reminding ourselves that he is greater than our inconsistent hearts. He knows everything and he he deals graciously with us as his dearly loved children. It says back in in chapter 1, verse 9, those familiar words, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So even when our inconsistent hearts condemn us, we can rest in, in God's grace to us God calls us to live out who we are and that's actually a wonderful a wonderful beautiful glorious thing it's a wonderful calling that God has given us to pursue to strive to live out Uh, John describes that in in verse 24 as living in him and he in us that, that abiding fellowship with God that he is, we are living in him and he is living in us. He's, we have his spirit with us. We're living in step with his commands. We're living to please him. And it says in verse 23, it's, it's to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Friends, there is life in a nutshell as a child of God. That's the mark of a Christian. It's to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. 
And what a picture of, of blessing, of life, of rest. To live that way, to embrace the, the truth of the rule of King Jesus, to believe in his name. And so if he's the king, well, I'm going to keep his commands. I'm going to do what he calls me to. I'm going to, I'm going to love one another. We're to live and to do what pleases him. And so we receive from him anything we ask because what we ask is in step with what he commands. This is the life of love as the children of God. And even when we fall short, even when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything, he knows, including the fact that, that we believe, that we trust in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. So by way of implication, the mark of a Christian is, well, is love. But this isn't just a kind of external badge to, to tack on, to put on display like a, a fish sticker or a wristband. It flows from a whole change of identity. As people who, who believe in Jesus, we have a new identity, a new belonging, a new allegiance that's, that's different to the people of the world without God. We've passed from death to life. And that, that new identity, that new belonging is characterised by love. So brothers and sisters, let me urge you to, to get on with living this out, to love one another, not just with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. If you, if you see a brother or sister in need, if you have the means to help, then, then open your heart. Allow the love of God in you to make a difference. Jesus calls us to love, to, to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. How can we do this more and more? Sometimes it involves, it involves material possessions. Sometimes it involves our, our money. Sometimes it involves that most precious commodity, our time. Time to, to cook a meal for someone, time to visit them, time to pray for them, time to, to sit, write them a card or send them a message. There's, there's no end to the ways that we can love one another and we do love one another. I see that in all sorts of ways in our church community. Let's seek to, to do that and to do that more, to keep living out who we are more and more. And let's pray and ask that God would help us to do that. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your love to us in Jesus. We thank you that through him we have passed from death to life. That we've passed from hatred, from belonging to the devil, to love and to being your children. Our Father, we thank you for that. And we thank you that you are with us, that you give us your spirit, that we live in you and you in us. And Father, we ask that you help us to live out who we are. Help us to, live, to, to, uh, to love one another. Help us to share our lives with one another, to lay down our lives for each other. And to not merely love with, with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And Father, please help us to do this more and more. We ask this for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen.